Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey everybody, I have an announcement. My new book, Traumatized, is available for pre-order now. In it, I cover PTSD and complex PTSD, the symptoms we can experience when we have been traumatized, and of course, ways we can overcome these and heal. There is honestly too much helpful information in this book to list it all, but if you've ever wondered if you've been traumatized or are working to overcome past trauma, this book is for you. I cannot wait for it to be out in the world and help anyone suffering, so please pre-order yours today at katiemorton.com. you've hit a plateau inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know ask katie anything hey everybody welcome back to another episode of ask katie anything and if during this podcast if you're watching you see me wince or move weirdly or not move my shoulders or head at all it is because I somehow pulled a muscle in my shoulder, my left shoulder, and I swear it's killing me, you guys. It's so painful. And I've taken ibuprofen. I'm trying things. I put on some like lidocaine patch thing, a salon paw. Anyway, that's why it's a little weird. The most comfortable position is actually like hunkered down, like, you know, Quasimodo, like a humpback. Um, ooh, that was sharp. Anyway, so if I'm acting weird, that's why. Um, we have a new recorder. Our sound is back. Yay. I was worried that we were going to, have to do this episode using the lavaliers, which while they're great, they're not, you know, they're like uh, good enough. Um, anyway, so we are back and we are still in quarantine over here in Los Angeles. Um, I did a hangout on my Patreon earlier today and it was we're all having a tough time. So if you're out there and you're having a tough time, know that you're not alone. Um, that's part of the reason why I did that video on my Katie Morton channel this week. Um, I'm like, what day is it? Today's Wednesday. It feels all. Somebody had a good phrase on our hangout. She called it all blurs day. Like that's what day it is. It's blurs day. And I loved it. So feel free to use that. But anyway, um, what was I even saying? Oh, so we are still in quarantine it's a tough time. That's why I released the video on Monday on my channel. Um, mainly just to, to vent a little and to let you know that you're not alone. We're all having a, a tough go of this. And we just heard from our mayor and this the county of Los Angeles as a whole that we may be under some form of uh, stay home orders until the end of July. So I don't even have any words for that. It's uncomfortable. And I'm like trying to figure out what do we do? You know, like, anyways, it just seems like a lot because we've only been doing this. I mean, only we've only been doing this for like 50 days, Sean and I. And so it's just been two months, a little over two months. So maybe 60 days now. Anyway, since since March 16th. Um, and the thought of having to do this for another few months is like, what? Anyway, okay, enough about that. Aren't you sick of hearing about it? Me too. Okay, so I pulled a bunch of questions. If you don't know, I ask for these questions below 
my prompt forum, like I, I will ask you for them in the community tab on the opinions that don't matter uh, channel so that that's where the podcasts are. Therefore, those of you who listen and subscribe will know that that's um, that your questions are more, more likely to uh, be seen. Because when I ask them, when I ask for your questions for the podcast on my uh, Katie Morton channel, I get like 300 of them. And when I ask for it on the opinions that don't matter channel, I get like 70, which just seems a little bit more manageable. I don't know about you. Um, But anyway, I pulled a bunch of them. I usually talk a lot. I pulled eight. Um, Let's just try to get through them all, right? We have an hour. Let's get right to it. And a lot of these questions are good. And it's always interesting to see where your guys' heads are at and what's going on, where you are. Um, And I've mentioned this before, but we tend to have like trends to, to our questions. And I don't know if we do this week, but let's just get into a lot of quarantine stuff. And I think that that's normal because we're all in it. Okay. Question number one. Hi, Katie. I was wondering if it's unhealthy or weird to go to my teacher to vent and get advice instead of my mom or family. I feel like it's so weird, but I'm more comfortable with her. Is that messed up? Thanks. Excuse me. I had a a bubbly water before this. Um, So I really like this question because I think this is very, very normal. A lot of people do not find their immediate family to be loving, supportive, or at least unbiased enough to be able to hear them. I remember when I was a kid, I had two teachers at school as well as our um, school counselor whom I loved. And I would talk to them about all sorts of things. My worries about college, because if you didn't know, my brother and I were the first generation to go to college. My mom started at a community college, but then found uh, met my dad, got married, had babies, um, and never continued on her educational path. And so we never, and my dad went to a trade school. And so no one knew much about that. And so I would talk to people at school, talk to teachers, because they knew they'd been to school. And I was very curious about that. And so um, I know that's just one example. And it wasn't like I was venting about uh, maybe bigger issues. But I definitely use my coaches, my sport, um, because I played softball and soccer in high school. And I would talk to them a lot about that. And, um, you know, they'd be people that I would vent to to talk about things I was struggling with and worries about being bullied or getting invited to a party because I didn't drink or anything when I was in high school. I think I maybe drank like twice total and it was like my senior year. Um, And I was like, I don't like this. This feels crazy and it makes me sick. Um, Anyway, I would talk to them about that, like wanting to be cool and and get invited to the party, but I didn't want to go just random stuff. And so I think there's definitely times in our life when we don't feel like it's okay, or we're not able to open up to our uh, mom or parents and family. Um, In an ideal world, we would all have wonderful, supportive, loving, and non judgmental family members. But sometimes even if our family is lovely, and we enjoy being around them, that doesn't mean that we feel okay telling them how we feel and being real with it. Um, we might be afraid that they're going to judge us or we just want to have a real conversation about alcohol and not tell, not have them tell us to just never drink it or same goes with sex. And um, if we're wanting to have intimate relationships with someone, we might just want to be able to talk about it and think about it. Almost like sometimes I feel like I say things out loud just so I can hear myself saying it and then I can either agree or disagree. Do you know what I mean? And so sometimes I think that we need the safe space to do that. To do that. And I think that's why therapy is so magical. It's because it's that one place where we can think out loud and not be judged and instead get some hopefully helpful and insightful guidance, advice, conversation, 
all of that. And so while I think that a lot of people have wonderful relationships with their family, I mean, I talked, I talked to my mom every day, I should say that as an adult, I, um, I don't know, it's like my mom and I shifted from her being the authority and the one to like punish me for doing bad things or put me in timeout or ground me or whatever. We moved out of that probably around the time I graduated from college, which I know sounds crazy, but I wasn't, I think it was when I like became an adult, like she stopped paying for anything of mine. It was when, um, you know, I went to grad school and did all that, but that was like my choice. I still, I didn't get any money from her. I did everything on my own. I think she paid for my cell phone through graduate school. That was one like extra. Um, but anyways, I think maybe that was how we shifted it from like her being the authority to being like my friend. Um, And so now I do talk to her more about stuff than I did when I was like a teenager or in my early 20s. However, I still vent more to like my friends and to Sean and my therapist. And so all in all, it's not so weird. And I guarantee if someone is, if you're watching this on YouTube and you you can leave in the comments, let us know, do you do something like this? Sorry, it's, it's me, not you. When I talk a lot, I yawn. Um, But anyways, um, let us know in those comments, like, who do you vent to? Because I think this is more normal than maybe this person realizes. I think it's hard to try to talk to adults in our life, um, especially family for many things. So don't feel like you have to do that. Um, Talking to whomever you're comfortable with um, is fine. It's totally, totally fine. And does any, if you guys don't know, I'm a huge fan of The Office. And every time I say whoever or whomever, I remember that time when Ryan, Ryan comes back from corporate. He's the boss. He's like the bigger boss, has Jan's job and he comes into the conference room and it's when Michael's like broke and working that other job. And he's like, um, or whomever you want or something like that. And Michael's like, that's not, it's whoever, not whomever. And they have that whole conversation. I still don't understand when you use whom or who. Or I don't know if that just like messed it up in my brain. But either way, every time I say whoever or whomever, I think of that and I'm like, shit, am I using it right? Nobody knows. And I'm not really worried about it, but made me think of it. Okay. So no, it's not weird. Um, But you're more comfortable with that uh, teacher. And I'm glad you have that teacher. So keep talking to her. Okay. Question number two, how to help a spouse get help? I love this question because I think a lot of people want to know and and insert instead of spouse, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, uh, roommate, friend, anybody says working on myself has been a process, but finally getting my anxiety and codependency and trust issues in order. But if we're both not healing and bettering ourselves, it's not going to work. I agree. My spouse desperately needs to work on opening up communication and anger issues and trust issues and anxiety of his own. He's pretty aware of this, but I don't think he gets how bad it is. And I've mentioned therapy to him as we've gotten together a few times. um, Oh, as we've gone together a few times and I go to therapy, but he doesn't take the initiative. Help. I'm trying. Thanks, Katie. Oh, this is rough. Um, And you are correct that if if you're bettering yourselves and they're staying the same um, and they have issues that you're not okay with, it's not going to work. It's it's the same. Even if you didn't better yourself and they weren't bettering themselves, it, it could still end anyways. It could still not work out because you're both not acting very healthfully. But as a new, newly formed healthy person, it's really hard to tolerate the unhealthy behaviors of a partner or spouse. Um, and I understand that. I think the first of all, we can't make 
anyone else get better. We can't make them get help. We can't make them work at it. We can't do any of that. And I wish we could. Trust me, my job would be a whole hell of a lot easier if I could do that. But we just can't. And I think the main, um, just remember that, okay? We can't control anyone else. We can only control ourselves. And no manipulation doesn't work. We can't do something um, ourselves in hopes that that will make the other person, like you say, like I go to therapy and he sees that or like he's gone with me a few times. Okay, so he's supporting you. That's great. But he has to want to do it himself. And the real way to push this forward or figure out what's happening or where this is going is to have a conversation. I think too often we're afraid to actually communicate with our friends, partner, spouses, whomever. Is that whomever? I think so, maybe. Anyway, or whoever is in our life. Um, We're just afraid to tell them how we feel and what we're worried about. But that's the only thing we can do. And so I would encourage you right now, I'd probably talk about it in therapy and write down some of the things that you're worried about. Reasons that you want him to get into therapy, why it's been so helpful for you. I'm not saying reasons he should get into therapy, like laundry listing, because that doesn't help anybody. But it could be helpful for you to say, like, I'd really like you to get into therapy because I've been working on my own anxiety and codependency. But then when you react the way that you always have, that is difficult for me, because that, you know, is triggering, it makes me want to go back to old behaviors. I don't know. But keep it like that versus like you did XYZ. That's never helpful um, for anybody. And they get really defensive. So keeping it about you about how this is affecting you, how you have worked so hard on yourself, and you just want the same for him, and how you would like your relationship to grow and develop and whatever, get better, Um, bring all of those things up. And it's okay to say, I'm worried that if we don't get this figured out, if we don't work on ourselves to get better, that our relationship could deteriorate. I encourage all of you out there, never use the ter- the word divorce, breakup, leaving you, any kind of um, like alluding to that. Those are very, it's almost like throwing down the gauntlet. Those are lines in the sand we don't want to draw. We want to say that I'm worried that our relationship could suffer or that things could deteriorate between us or that we're going to need some very intensive couples therapy. You know, there's a lot of things that you could say that don't involve those words, just FYI. So I think, you know, with that in mind, you can mention like, hey, you know, um, I've been working on myself and I'm trying to get better. And it would really, really be helpful for me in my own process if I knew you were working on yourself as well so that we could better communicate and we could make sure that we're not feeding into each other's codependency or anxieties or uh, trust issues or whatever. Um, And I would then frame it in the end of like, I just want you to feel as good as I feel and I want us to feel good together. So again, like framing it around building, growing together um, should be the best. And practice saying it out loud, maybe on the way to therapy, on the way back, talk with your therapist about it, start writing it down in a place that is private and easy to keep secret so that he doesn't like stumble upon this and be like, what is this? Um, It could be something you email to yourself, you keep it in a note on your phone or a text to yourself. I do those all the time, text to myself. Um, anyway, try to get it out, try to put it down so that like you can see it, you can make sure it's getting across what you want it to get across. To get across, I would read it out loud to your therapist to get um, her take on it. And because sometimes it can really help to get someone else's perspective and they might be like, oh, that sounds kind of blamey. And you're like, oh, I didn't think about that. I didn't realize. 
So I think that th those are all good tools to kind of get you going, get it started um, so that you can feel like your relationship is growing together. It's marriage is difficult. You guys, I don't want anybody to think that marriage is super easy. Sean and I have a wonderful, beautiful relationship. However, uh, I like, I mean, I know he works at it, but I can only speak for myself. I work at it. Like there's a lot of things that I would want to fight with him about. And I choose not to, I make a conscious decision to think, is this going to benefit either of us? Is this actually something that's worth even bringing up? But most of the time, the answer is no. When it comes to communication, I check in with him a lot. I'm always saying like, hey, how was your day? Um, were you okay with the way that I spoke to you about this? Let's talk about this uncomfortable situation. Let's work this out. You have to do your best to connect because the thing about marriage in any long-term relationship is that it's so easy to go our other ways. Like I have my own life with my own friends. I do my own thing. You're not part of any of that. I go to my own, you know, workout classes and dinners and I have a whole friend group that you aren't, you don't really know very well. Um, I, you know, I go away on my own. I do all this stuff. You don't know anything about my work. And then they're doing the same thing that will just grow apart because you don't have anything in common anymore. So you have to kind of force yourself to have things in common. You have to find things you can do together, some shared interests, shared activities. Um, and I say all that because like, I think too many of us just let ourselves drift away. Um, we can even use work or children as a way to like cheat on our spouses. Because I think a lot of people always assume that cheating is something that is done. Like you've had sex with someone else. That's what we think of when cheating. Unless somebody's like, oh, they emotionally cheated. Then we're like, oh, they had like emails with someone that were like romantic in nature or emotionally revealing, right? We can cheat in a lot of other ways. Cheating with the kids is most common for, for the woman in the relationship to do. Every relationship is different. Not every relationship has one woman, one man. But whoever is the, the caretaker of the children tends to cheat on the other spouse, spouse with those children unless they recognize and balance bringing the other partner into that. And what I mean by it is like um, we distract from our romantic relationship with our partner by investing everything that we have into the children. Just think about that. I remember when my we went to uh, family therapy when I was growing up and my mom realized she was doing that to my dad because my dad worked away from home a lot when I was uh, growing up. He was out on like projects. He worked like project work. So it'd be like he'd be in different parts of the States depending on what job and he'd be gone for months at a time sometimes. And so my mom had told told us in like our family counseling or whatever, like, I feel like I'm, I think I'm cheating on you with the kids. Like, even when you're back, I don't feel like you're really back. And I'm not even letting you back. Like, I'm just, I got, we got our things to do. You're like, now a big mess, like in the way of our routine. And I think that a lot of us do stuff like that. Some people cheat on their spouse with their work. Same thing, they put all their energy, effort, emotional investment into work and work relationships, work things, um, maybe don't come home till late, because they just don't want to deal. There's a lot of ways we can cheat on our spouse. And so I think that the the main thing that I, the reason I'm bringing all this up is just so people are aware of all the ways that things can kind of go wrong and how we have to make that conscious effort to grow together, to bring it together. And the best way we do that is through direct communication, letting them know how we feel, what's going on. Make it about us. Use your I statements. Don't laundry list. And don't, and laundry list, I think comes along with like not 
uh, also not being like, I always do the dishes and, and you never do this. And I always end up using terms like always, never, you know, uh, you coulda, shoulda, all those things can be really, really damaging. And so the best way to communicate for struggling to communicate with a partner or spouse or even a roommate really is to say, I feel upset because often I feel like you're not putting in the work that I'm putting in. And what I would really like is for us to instead be working on ourselves so that we can be better together. And then you can give some examples of ways that you would like them to communicate like, hey, when I brought up um, therapy two weeks ago, you said that you'd look into it. What's happened on that front? Has anything happened? If they're like, oh, no, I just didn't want to be like, see, it's stuff like that. Like, I know it's difficult. I know it's uncomfortable, but I, I re- I'm really investing in myself so that I can invest in you. But I need to know that you're doing the same. Meet me halfway. And I think that's kind of a hopefully gets your you know, brain rolling into how you can communicate about this. But I just really wanted to like talk about, you know, reasons that I think marriages kind of dissolve or distanced or, you know, people get divorced um, and ways that we can kind of bring it back together. If that's not what you want, again, you know, it sounds like you're really trying. So you'd want it to get better, but we need to have, we can't do all the work. And if you are doing all the heavy lifting in your relationship, if you're like the whole emotional, psychological Sherpa, you're the only one doing that difficult work, that doesn't work either, right? We need shared responsibility. And so they kind of just have to meet you in the middle. We're not asking them to do more. We're just asking them to do the same as you're doing. Um, Yeah, I think that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, I'm like, I could go on and on about like the reasons marriages break up is like sex and money. But that's not this question. So to to whoever asked this question, I hope that was helpful. I hope that gets your brain at least rolling in the right direction. So you have some verbiage and ways to talk to him because he might just not realize but we can't expect them to read our minds or to know. So we have to work on communicating that and what your needs are. Okay. Question number three. Hi. Hello. I sometimes have a hard time telling the difference between letting yourself feel an emotion, just let it pass through without denying it and wallowing it like marinating in self-pity. LOL. If you could help clarify it, that'd be cool. Happy to do it. And this is something that I've, as I've been online more and more, because the thing about videos is that like, people will comment on things or bring old videos up. And I'm like, I don't even remember that. And I'll watch it again. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, that's not very clear. Like I hopefully you guys, if you've been following me for a while, you feel like I've gotten better at communicating things or better at explaining things. I hope so. Uh, fingers crossed. Excuse me, still burping a little from that bubbly water. I told Sean in our podcast to not drink it. And then I go drink it. But this is not. So don't worry. No more burps coming your way. Okay. So the way that we let ourselves feel an emotion is is very simple. Let's try to keep this simple because I think the more we talk about it, the more convoluted it becomes. So when you have um, a feeling, you have to identify it. Okay. Let's just say that feeling is irritable. I'm irritable. I just jerked my neck and it hurt my shoulder. Okay. So I'm irritable. I've identified it. I can see it. Then I want to think about what caused that emotion. I'm in quarantine and I really would like to go to dinner with my friends. I'm just making up the scenario, but this is very real, you guys. I am irritable and I do want to go have dinner with my friends. And I don't know. I don't even like to go out and like to a bar and dance or anything, but God, I would love the opportunity to turn that invitation down. (laughs) And maybe I would like to boogie. Nobody knows. Um, I do like to boogie. So 
Okay, so I want to go out to dinner and drinks with my friends. Because I can't. I'm irritable. I've used it in a sentence. I've identified it. I let myself feel it. For maybe... Maybe five minutes. Maximum. I know this sounds weird to put a maximum on it. But I'd allow you to feel... Depending on the strength of the emotion, I'd allow you to feel a very strong emotion. Let's say I'm super angry. Somebody has really pissed me off. I allow you to feel that for 24 hours. Okay. After that, you're wallowing. Because if we just let ourselves feel it, like back to this irritability, this is not a strong emotion. It's like medium. So I feel irritable. I'm irritable because I'd like to go out and I can't. So I feel this way. It's so frustrating. I don't like feeling this way. But... I mean, there's a reason. Go back to that reason. I know why I feel this way. And it's okay to feel this way. I give myself permission to feel irritable because the thing about it that's kind of funny is once we give ourselves the permission to feel it, we don't feel it as strongly anymore. The emotions that come out, bah, that seem like, un, I don't know, kind of like we're overreacting, right? There's no, the, the thing that happened doesn't, like, it shouldn't trigger such a response, Okay. That happens because we've never let ourselves express that for like all the other experiences before it. Does that make sense? It's like any other thing that made me irritable. I never let myself feel it. I was like, no, no, no. Positive thoughts only, Katie. Let's get it together. That's bullshit. That's not life. Life comes with ups and downs. Every day I feel good things and I feel bad things. And all of those are okay. And so when we feel the emotion and we track it, we know why it's happening. We say, yeah, of course I'm irritable. That fucking sucks. But you know what I can do? And then that's when we move into action because almost every feeling has a reason might take us a bit to get used to tracking it and figuring out why. And there might be lots of reasons. My irritability might be because, you know, I was supposed to go speak at a school and I'm bummed out about that. And my bummed outness makes me irritated at the fact that I'm in quarantine. It all comes back to quarantine, right? And all these things. So I've said it. I've acknowledged it. I know where it comes from. And then I'm like, yeah, it fucking sucks. And then I just let myself think about it for a few minutes. I honestly only let myself like wallow in an emotion that's not a strong one for just like five, 10 minutes. And then, and I probably not even 10, probably more like two to five. And then I'm like, but you know what? I can reach out to one of my friends and we can set up like a, a Google happy hour thing. I'm going to do that because that'll make me feel pretty good. Or I can call my mom or I can do a live stream with my viewers because that's, I really just need that connection. And I tell you what? makes me feel so much better. So a lot of times it's like identifying the the reason and the feeling and then letting yourself feel it for a little bit and then taking action to make yourself feel better because nobody wants to feel like shit. We don't want to feel angry, upset, irritable, frustrated, rage-filled, agitated, shameful, embarrassed. We don't want to feel any of those things, but they're all valid and we need to be able to let experience it. You can notice how it is in your body if that helps too. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, just I'm like my I'm clenching my fist for some reason. My face is tight. I don't know why I'm doing that. It's cuz I'm irritated. It's cuz I'm angry. And I'm like, yeah, that's why. Okay, well, what can I do about it? You got to shake it off. And then I got to do something. And so I feel like that's the difference. Wallowing on the other hand, and I feel like I'm talking about this a lot. And I just said, the more I talk about it, the more difficult it gets. So if you need more clarification, let me know. However, if we've done those things, that's it. We got to move on. Wallowing is when we allow ourselves to injure ourselves more with the thoughts and the reasons. Okay, that's the line. 
Me identifying the quarantine situation and my frustration with the lack of connection. Oh, I just hurt my neck again. Um, and the, the reason that I'm so upset and all that, that's fine. That's me identifying and validating. But if I use that and I'm like, yeah, and you're never going to be able to leave your house and this is just going to get terrible. And like, nobody even cares to connect with you. And I just start spiraling down this dark pit of thoughts. Quarantine's never going to get over. And who even cares? You're going to go broke and this is stupid. This is wallowing. I'm injuring myself with false thoughts and beliefs around that one feeling. What? Right? So just pay attention. Those are the differences. Because we can feel a feeling for, I don't want to put like the, the two to five minutes. I'm just giving you my like personal experience. So there's no real like time frame. However, I find that if I'm thinking about a small or moderate feeling for more than a few minutes, I'm letting myself wallow. I'm letting myself injure like my own confidence or uh, sense of self with the potential things, right? Like it's never going to get over. People don't even want to see you. Uh, my favorite restaurant's never going to reopen and I won't feel safe enough to go that what? Shut up, head. Stop it, brain. You're, you're wallowing, you're spiraling. So I think wallowing and spiraling are very, very similar. Um, so that's kind of the difference. Does that help a little bit? Let me reread your question one more time. Telling the difference between letting myself feel an emotion, just let it pass through, and wallowing in it, like marinating in self-pity. Yes. So just to clarify in case I jibber-jabbered and you're like, this doesn't fucking make any sense. Um, letting yourself feel it is identifying, and that's a very important thing. Using it in a sentence like, why is it happening? What is this feeling? Where do I feel it in my body? All those things. You can spend a little time on that. But if we use any of that information or any of those feeling words or emotions to bring us down a, a self-hatred, uh, just negative thought spiral, if we're injuring ourselves with any of that information, that's when it's actually wallowing. Um, and that's really it, I think. I mean, yeah, I feel like if I talk about it anymore, I'll just complicate things and confuse people. Okay. So I hope that that helps. And that's a great question because a lot of people wonder. A lot of people have a tough time with that. So know that you're not alone. Okie dokie. Question number four. Is it common to fantasize about going through a traumatic event? Does this only happen among people who've been traumatized? Does this make me a bad person? How do I tell my therapist? How do I stop? I wish uh, or I would never wish anything bad upon anyone else. There's a lot to this. So let's unpack it. It is common to fantasize about going through a traumatic event for two reasons. And this is just my experience. One is we are in the kind of uh, attachment struggle. Maybe we have borderline personality disorder. Um, maybe we're codependent. And we want that trauma to help explain how, why we feel the way we feel. I've had a lot of people feel that way where they're like, I just wish I had some trauma to explain or even my eating disorder. A lot of people want to be traumatized, dream about being traumatized. So there's like a quote unquote reason for how they're feeling and what they're going through, even though just going through it and feeling it is reason enough. Okay. I'm just telling you. So that's one thing that I've heard a lot. Now, the second is that if we've been traumatized already, we may fantasize a about going through a traumatic event because we have suicidal thoughts. I find that to be very common. A lot of people, especially right now because of the COVID-19 and this global pandemic, a lot of people, a lot of you have reached out to me and told me that it's like made your suicidal thoughts worse. You're like, oh, I just wish I'd get sick and this could just all be over. Yeah, we feel that. 
It sucks. We already felt very dark and sad and lonely. And so the thought of going through a traumatic event just makes us feel like more alive or give us more permission to feel shitty. It's a lot of that. So people fantasize about it for that reason. And also the final kind of part that I want to talk about is that it could be because our brain is just trying to process a past traumatic event. So if we've been traumatized before, it could be like more suicidal thoughts or like I need to feel it again. Um, Or it could be our brain trying to make sense of what happened. Being traumatized is something that our brain, frankly, can't, it's like over overwhelmed or overloaded. It pushes us out of our resilient zone and we go into either fight or flight or freeze. And so that memory, like I've talked about, can't be filed away neatly. We can have dissociative amnesia where we don't really remember much about the traumatic event because it's too much for our brain to process. It's like, I don't even know. And we don't remember anything. Um, And so our urge to be traumatized could be our brain's way of saying, hey, I want to work on this. This is still bothering me because right below our like conscious mind is a very active subconscious that's like, dude, you've got a lot of shit you need to process. And I'm just going to keep reminding you. And that could be part of that too. So I hope that kind of makes sense. Um, And that kind of answers the other questions. Like, does this only happen among people who've been traumatized? No, it doesn't always have to happen to people who've been traumatized. That could be part of it. But the other could be more um, attention-based, more um, like needing and connection, attachment-based, which is kind of part of that. Um, And especially during this time, we feel really isolated. I'm not surprised more people aren't fantasizing about being traumatized because they just would want more people to connect with them because we're, we're just like dying for connection. Um, does it make you a bad person? No, it makes you human. A lot of what I'm talking about is very, all of those are very reasonable. Um, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for. It's a very expected response. If we've been traumatized, if we haven't, I talked about all the different reasons. Um, if you feel like I'm leaving something out, put it in the comments. You know, I, I'm always happy to learn. Um, how do I tell my therapist? I think you just bring it up with your therapist in the same way you brought it up to me. Be like, Hey, I've been like fantasizing about being in a traumatic event. And I don't know what the fuck is up with that. I think a lot of times we worry about how we present things to our therapist. And the truth is we don't even have to know it all. We just have to give like a little clip of a thought spin it out to them be like, what is this? And then they're going to be curious. Hopefully they're good at their jobs. We get to be curious. I ask all sorts of questions of my patients when, when they tell me something funny, that's like, they think is weird where they're like, I don't know why, but like, I can only, uh, get aroused by this thing. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. I'm all, it's like, always oh, interesting. I'm interested. It's interesting. When did this start? Has this been always? Hmm. You know, we get to be curious. So use your therapy time to be curious about this, to learn what it is for you. Because I'm just giving you examples of things that I know of personally that I've either heard from other members of our community online or in my private practice. Um, and then how can I stop? So if it's bothering you, even more reason to talk about it and process it in therapy, because there's always a reason for this. It could be part of our OCD. If you don't know, um, there's pure OCD. I have a video on my channel all about it. Um, But it's like those intrusive thoughts that we have. But this sounds not intrusive. These sound like fantasizing, like you spend time thinking about it and wishing it was happening. And so I think the best way to stop is to talk about it and to figure out why the why behind things is so healing, which is kind of ironic because when we're in there, when we're in school to become a therapist, um, they always tell us not to ask why, because it can feel, 
you know, make people very defensive. It feels judgmental, which I agree in some ways, but a lot of it's like, the why is so powerful. Like, why does my eating disorder exist? Why do I have so, uh, suicidal thoughts or want to self injure? Why? Like all the whys, those are really, that gives us all the answers. Then we know what we're working towards. Then we know what we need to heal or what happened. It's so powerful. So I think with this, we have to focus on the why. When did this start? Why do we think this is it helpful when you fantasize about it and being in a traumatic event? What good do you think is going to come out of it? What's the like the whiff them? What's in it for me? They call that in like sales. Remember I used to be a sales rep like eons ago? The whiff them. What's in it for me? So think about that. What do you get out of that? I'm curious. It's very interesting. Yeah. So that's how you stop. Figure out the why. Process that. Um, And then I would never wish. Okay. Yeah. And no one, I think that's the funny, not funny, but that's the, the struggle really in therapy and in psychology and in our brains is that when we think something or fantasize about something, we have a fetish, we have something else that we're thinking about. When we when we struggle with those things, we think we're all alone. We think no one else in the world has ever had a thought like that. And I am so weird. Why am I so weird? Oh, I hate myself. I'm not a bad person. We go through all these thought cycles. Meanwhile, millions of other people have had that thought, are having that thought, are going to have that thought. We're not bad people. There's no shame in thinking about death. There's no shame in, uh, considering suicide or thinking about wanting to be traumatized. There's no shame in having a weird sex fetish that you haven't heard about before. The shame lies in our judgment of ourselves because of this thing. Does that make sense? And so I'd encourage all of us to like, be more curious and less judgmental about our experience and what we're going through, because I believe that we'll all feel better and we'll have less of these like what can feel like intrusive thoughts or uh, wishes for pain and hurt and harm. Um, Yeah, because a lot of people have thoughts like this. A lot of people are wanting, and it doesn't mean that you would wish any bad on anyone else. Um, There's just a reason behind it. Anyway, okay, let's move on. More water, and then we'll get into question number five. I think we might make it easily through the eight, you guys. Woohoo. Okay, question number five. What is the etiquette? If your therapist goes through a loss in their family, I've heard a few of these questions recently. I have my first session with my therapist since his mom died, and I'm really nervous. I feel like my struggles are nothing in the face of what he's going through. Also, my main struggle right now is with my mother, and I'm scared that listening to me talking about that might be painful for him. I'm just nervous, and I don't know what I should or shouldn't say. He's helped me through a lot of pain, and I just want to, if not do the same for him, at least not do the exact opposite. Okay, so the etiquette in therapy is address it. That's all. And I know that that can be really uncomfortable, but that's what therapy is for, is to practice having kind of uncomfortable conversations and situations and figuring it out. So what I would encourage you to do, because I actually had this happen when my dad passed away. Um, People at the clinic that I worked at were very worried and the patients wanted to ask how I was doing. And that's fine. A good therapist won't tell you much. I was in my own therapy already. I was continuing my own therapy when I got back after the funeral and all that stuff. And so it's okay to tell him, I'm so sorry for your loss. Um, you know, I, I hope that you're doing better and just know that I, I'm thinking of you and, you know, I'm here for you. That's really all you need to say. Okay. 
something that is in your own words, obviously, but something that just feels like, I'm so sorry to hear about that. I hope you're doing okay. You've been on, on my mind. Okay. Next thing is, you know, um, you know that I have a lot of issues with my mother and I just want to make sure that that's not a, a painful topic for you. I just want to be cautious and understanding. And I guarantee what your therapist is going to say. I had to fight the urge to say guarantee. I don't even know where that's from. If you guys know where that's from, let me know in those comments. But um, I guarantee your therapist is going to say something to the effect of, no, that is perfectly fine. And of course, you can talk about this issue with your mom. Don't you worry about me at all. And that is the truth. Therapy is your time. It's not my time. You know what my time is? When I have my own fucking therapy. That's when I talk about things. That's when I cry. That's when I feel upset. That's when I feel overwhelmed. (sighs) That's my therapy time. Your session is your time. And I'd be a shitty therapist if I can't keep my own shit out of my sessions. I can't tell you how many patients I've had who uh, hate their fathers, have been abused by their dads, talk shit about their dad. Um, People who've uh, cut ties with their toxic family in general. Um, and do I automatically flash back to my father and I like think anything of that? I can 100% tell you that that's never crossed my mind. I don't think about that at all. That isn't my time. That's their time. And their dad has nothing to do with my dad, right? They're all like separate situations. And any good therapist is very, very good at compartmentalizing and dealing with their own shit. Like I said, I've been in therapy off and on since I was 15 and it's really hard and sometimes I hate it, but it's been really helpful and I think it makes me a better therapist. So bring it up, address it head on, um, you know, mention the things you're worried about, tell them that you're sorry for their loss and that's it. Then it's back to your time and all that shouldn't take more than like three to five minutes of your session. When you come in, just be like, I'm so glad you're back. And I was sorry to hear about the loss of your mother. That's all. Then we move in and say, you know, and I was just, I'm just kind of worried because I don't know the etiquette here. Is this going to be, is going to be hard for you to hear about my difficulties with my own mother? The therapist is going to say no. And you're like, okay, thanks. I just wanted to, I wanted to get that out in the open. And then we move into our session just like we need to. Cool. Cool. Okay. Question number six. This is a good one. And I think a lot of people are struggling with this. Katie, how do you deal with touch starvation during quarantine when there isn't anyone at home um, available or safe enough for it and social distancing is being encouraged? This has been something uh, so many of us are struggling with this, especially when we live alone. And I don't have like a a perfect replacement because we all know that there's nothing like getting a hug or a back rub or just a, a loving touch of some kind from some other person. There's no replacement for that. I wish there was, but there's not. What we can do, and I kind of talked about this in my video um, about isolation. I think it was just dealing with isolation. I'm, I'm feel so alone. I think that's what I titled it. Anyway, uh, or I am so alone, something like that, because we're all feeling this. And the best way to cope with this touch starvation is through loving personal touch. And in the video, I made a joke about like, no, I'm not talking about masturbation. But hey, if you want to masturbate, and that makes you feel better. That's fine. That's totally healthy, totally normal. Do what you want to do. It's your body. And you know, that's fine. However, when it comes to just touch, because a lot of times we just want loving physical touch. It's okay to 
hug yourself. I know that sounds crazy. Even just saying it in my head before I said it out loud, I'm like, hug. it just sounds weird. However, it can be very beneficial. We can give ourselves a nice hug. Ooh, that kind of feels good, but also kind of hurts my shoulder. Um, we hug, rub on your back. Maybe you rub on your hands and feet while you think positive things like I'm important. I'm valued. I'm a kind, good person. Other people like me. We do that. Make some time for some of that loving touch. A lot of that can also be like taking care of yourself. Like maybe um, this is might sound weird, but this is something that I've been personally enjoying is I like to do those. There's those body brushes that are like dry brushing and it helps circulation also like feels nice and it's supposed to get off schluff off any dead skin. So I do my dry brushing and I put on my nice thick lotion. I put on my cozy pajamas. I'm like caring for myself. I'm giving myself loving touch. Um, there's a lot of ways you could rub on your scalp. You could, uh, you know, even doing your nails and giving yourself a hand massage. All those things are ways to give yourself some loving touch, but you have to figure out what feels good for you. It could be, um, if you live alone and you like to have someone to snuggle up to, I know they're selling a lot of these online and I don't think it's necessary to buy anything new, but I think they're like little squishies or snugglies or something, but they're huge, like, uh, stuffed animal type things. They're not really animals. They're just like a creature, but they're like body pillows, but they're made to mimic like the feeling of, of hugging another person. There's nothing wrong with getting one of those or putting pillows together and using them, like laying them in a row on your bed so that you have something up against your back. It can feel nice and like comforting. Weighted blankets can also give some of that like cozy, loving touch that we might be wanting. So try out some things and, and feel what's best for you. Everyone's going to be different. There's no judgment around what's, you know, good, bad or whatever. Um, but just taking care of yourself, you know, thanking yourself for being here, saying some nice things while you you touch on yourself in a very loving and caring way. Um and hopefully we'll be done with this soon. Well, anyway, yeah. So, and if you want more um, tidbits and ideas and stuff for isolation in general, you can check out that video on my channel. I think it's just called like, I'm so alone or I'm alone or so I'm about alone. It's like two weeks old. So you can find it. Okay. Question number seven. Hi, Katie. How do you get people to open up? I'm one of those people who never talk about their feelings and what's going on. I think it has a lot to do with my childhood because showing feelings meant that you were weak. And I've always thought it's better to keep things in and let them hurt me than say them and let them hurt others. How do I open up and actually say how I feel and not just say I'm okay when I'm not? This is a great question. And I think a lot of people feel this way. So there's, there's a lot. The, the way that I really get people to open up is... It's just twofold. So the first is like having a safe holding environment. And I know that's a very therapeutic term, but it's just a term for our office. Our, my office, I share with another clinician and it's like, it's pretty cozy. Lots of blues. Um, the couch and the chair are kind of gray. They used to be these white oversized, um, you know, couch. And over, I think it was a love seat we had before. Anyway, used to be different furniture. We got new furniture a few years back. So it's like this gray. Um, and there's lots of like art from my patients and just things around and wood. And it's, it's a very warm, cozy. It's not a very big office. Um, and that's part of it. That helps people feel safe. Like this, these room, these rooms or the, these walls is really what I want to say. These walls in this room are able to contain how I feel. They're able to hold all that I have to get rid of, right? I need to like get that weight off my shoulders. Um, 
And so that's part of it. And just making people feel comfortable in general, like making sure that they, they feel good about me and the relationship that we're building. I'm always very clear about boundaries and what can they can expect in therapy. We work together on a treatment plan. I talk about all my policies and like, you know, 48 hour cancellation and um, all that stuff. So there's a lot of things that I try to do right up front to ensure that my patients are uh, happy and feel safe in my office and in the environment. Okay, so that's kind of the first component of it. Then the second is I'm very curious in the most non-judgmental, non-aggressive way possible. So if something like if a patient comes in and they don't like, well, so I always say like, so what brought you in or how was your week or how did that event go? You know, something that I know we've already talked about or if they're brand new, it's like, what prompted this, um, you making this appointment? You know, what's going on? something very casual. And then I'm just curious about it. So if they're like, Oh, I don't really know, like, I've been feeling kind of anxious, like, because people usually come in with like what they think it is, right? They already have a name for it. Because we have WebMD, we got the internet, you just look it up, and you figure it out. And you're like, this is what I think it is. Um, Or my mom forced me or whatever. So no matter what the response is, I'm always just curious about it. I'm like, Oh, that's, that's too bad. But that makes sense. So how long has that been going on? Get a simple answer. Then, you know, um, Let's say they're like, okay, it's been going on for six months. So what, what happened six months ago? Like, are you, have you changed school or work or whatever? I just start asking questions, simple questions that don't seem too intrusive. That's what I mean by not being too aggressive. I don't ask people, you know, like, uh, how's your relationship with your mom? Like completely unprompted out of nowhere. That's going to cause some people to shut down. Why would you ask that? Are you assuming something's wrong with my mom? So being a therapist is really just being curious and non-judgmental as as people slowly open up to you. There's no, not everybody opens up. I personally am like a verbal diarrhea person. I'm like, oh my God, it's just been so much. I don't know why. That's always been the way that it's been from the very first therapy session I ever had when I was 15 to like my last one right before quarantine. It's always just, that's just how I am. I got to cry. I got to vent. I got to just dump. I just get it out. It's too much. Um, but a lot of people aren't like that. And so I just ask a bunch of questions. I don't ask about your feelings right away. People don't know how to identify those. It's, it's always hard when you're like, so what, what's, what are you feeling? What's going on? People don't always know. I can say, I might even make some observations. That's something if someone doesn't know, or they're super quiet, or they seem very anxious on edge, like rocking on the edge of the seat, or, you know, not really, they're too tensed. They're not even like, relaxed in my office. I'll always say you seem you seem kind of stressed out or tense. Have you been feeling that way? Or is it just being here? You know, I give you an out, you can just say it's being in my office. I am just very curious, I'm very curious about how you're doing how you're feeling what's going on. Knowing very well that you might not have all the answers, but I have tons of questions. And so I think that that's kind of how I do it. Um, a lot of people were, t- I'm reading the rest of this question again to make sure I didn't miss anything, but a lot of people were raised to not express their feelings. Hopefully we're coming to not the end of that because nothing ever ends, but generation by generation, I think we've gotten better at talking about things. Seeing a therapist is something that is much more, uh, not only readily available, but it, like acceptable in modern society to be like, oh yeah, I see a therapist. Oh yeah, me too. Who do you see? It's a very casual thing. Maybe it's because I'm in LA, but I think by and large, it's getting easier and easier and a little bit better, even in very rural communities. Um, even where I grew up in a really small town, people talk about it like it's no big deal. So that gives me hope. Um, and a lot of people, you know, we're raised in situations like that. And 
it's not like in therapy right away you have to f- be okay with like crying because it says um because showing feelings meant that you were weak and i've always thought it's better to keep them in to let them hurt someone else and so i think it's like all about building up to that feeling okay and i would want to talk about what it would mean to let those emotions out why would those hurt others does being angry at someone because they did something that that hurt your feelings is that that hurting them hmm I'd be curious about that. Why would that hurt them? Because you're you're mentioning how you feel? Are your feelings not valid? Why are your feelings not valid? Is it okay for you to take up space? Do you feel like you're always in the way? Do you feel like you're walking on eggshells? I wonder why that is. When did that happen? Have you been doing that as long as you can remember? Did your parents raise their voices a lot when you're growing up? I got questions for days, you guys. And I think all of that kind of builds into like, why is this behavior happening? And why are you so uncomfortable talking to people? Um, What are you worried is going to happen if you do open up? Are you worried that I'm going to leave? Are you worried that I won't be okay with how you feel? Are you worried it's going to be completely uh, like too much to handle? Like your emotions are just too intense? Um, Yeah, so I guess that's kind of, I don't know. That's kind of how I do it. And so the final part of this question, how do I open up and actually say how I'm feeling and not to say I'm okay when I'm not? Let's try some other things. If saying it out loud is too hard for you, let's write it down. Bring it in. When you get in there, just hand it directly to your therapist and be like, I have trouble saying things out loud. So I've been writing. Try it out. They might say, I like this. This is very helpful. This is more than you've ever said in therapy. I can tell you how many times I said that to a patient. I give you full reign to email me whenever you want, knowing I'm never going to respond to an email, but I will print them out and I'll bring them to session. I did that for a patient for years. Um, Yeah. So writing down could help. Also just practicing what you're going to say. Like maybe you print out a feelings chart and try to find one of those feelings before you go to therapy, just one. Then you come in and say, you know, I struggled to identify my feelings, but I was able to pick this one out this week. We got to start small. We can't just expect to go in and feel comfortable and be able to dump it all. That's not always how it is. Everybody's different. Um, yeah. So let's start there and give yourself time because it takes a little, takes a little while. Okay. Final question. Are you ready? I've gotten this question a couple times recently. It says, hey, Katie, since you have a significant social media presence and share some of your life online, what do you do if your clients know more about you than they should? I know there's a boundary when it comes to knowing about your therapist's personal life. So I was wondering how you address it with your clients. Thanks. Um, some of my clients don't even know. And it's just funny. I think it's just age and demo. Maybe some people don't watch my stuff at all. Others know about it and prefer not to because they see me in person and they just don't want any of that in our session, if that makes sense. So I've gotten mixed responses. However, I did have a patient, it's probably been like six months ago now, but he kind of pops in and out over the years. He won't be uh, in my office at all for, you know, take like a six month break. And then he'll be like, hey, can I come in for a few sessions? I'm like, sure. Um, And it was the last time where he was like, I'd lost your number. And in my searching on my phone to find it, I found your YouTube channel. He did not realize. And he's like around my age, I think. Anyway, he was shocked. And he's like, are there any videos in that that I should be watching? And I was like, no, if there are, I will. I'll let you know about it. And then I just let them talk about it. I'm like, does it bother you that I'm online? Is that something that, you know, is upsetting to you? Um, That's really it. It honestly has been not a big deal. I think, um, 
I think that maybe with certain types of patients, it might have been a bother or something. But I just don't have if you guys don't realize I don't have a full practice anymore. I've talked about this a little bit over the years, but due to being um, in the public eye a little bit, it makes it harder and harder to not have people show up at my office. I've had to move offices a few times recently, um, which makes a lot of my patients nervous. So has caused some of them to leave, um, which I understand. I've referred them out. Um, People have shown up at my office. Um, There's some issues I have with that. And so recently, um, I've been not taking new patients um, because it's, it's not really safe. And I don't want to put anybody in an unsafe situation or position. I don't want myself to be in an unsafe situation. Um, so I just kind of pop around to a few subletted offices. Um, and it's been kind of uncomfortable and terrible. And I haven't actually talked about this publicly mainly because, um, it's kind of difficult and it's a side effect I wasn't prepared for. And it makes sense why people like Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz or, I don't know, even maybe other people on YouTube don't see patients anymore. I don't know if I'm ready to make that jump. Um, but I understand it more, I guess, in the past like year or two. It's kind of been forced into my face. Um, but my my clients and patients, they don't, they really don't watch it. Every once in a while, like I had a patient who was newly diagnosed. This is probably like, I think I've talked about this before. It's probably like a year ago now. But he was newly diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And he was having a tough time understanding it. And I was like, hey, you already know about my YouTube channel. Just get on YouTube, put Katie Morton bipolar disorder. I want you to watch that video. Let me know if that helps. And he was super grateful. And he had watched the one difference between bipolar and BPD, thought that was helpful. And I was like, awesome. He's like, I really like having this resource. So I really don't think, I don't think they follow me on any socials. I don't really talk about it. I always tell them that it's up to them what they want to bring into session. If they want that to be a part of it, that's something we can address. Um, I don't really shy away from it, nor do I spend much time on it. I think it's just, it's a it's a thing that's out there. It's a resource. I use the videos when I need to. And it's, so far, it's been fine. Honestly, my clients haven't had any problems. It's more about like some viewers um, not understanding privacy and boundaries and making things a little bit difficult and a little bit, you know, dangerous. Um I've gone through like four phone numbers. You guys, it's just been, it's a lot. So, um, so yeah, that's more what I worry about. They don't really, they don't, I don't think they follow enough to even say anything because they've never said anything. And a lot of my clients at this point, um, either have been with me before YouTube, like before it was a big deal, like maybe like six years ago or something, they popped in and out over the years, like that one gentleman, um, or they're a little bit older. I have quite a few older people. Um, and then one that knows all about it, but doesn't like to watch it at all. So anyway, um, yeah, that's just, that's how I address it. I address it as it comes up. I'm, I always try to encourage my clients to like, not, uh, not be afraid to say anything to me, not be afraid to bring something up. Um, if it does bother them or if they ask personal questions, I always say something like, um, you know, this is your time. It's not my time. And I just change the subject. Um, yeah, but that's really it. The boundaries still exist. I don't talk to them about anything like, you know, um, yeah, that's all I got you guys. That's really how I deal with it. Um, but if you have more follow-up questions, I think it's easier. The thing about that is like, it's something that I've developed and, and grown and changed over the years. Like when I first started YouTube, the channel was so small, none of my patients knew. And I worked multiple jobs. I'd be in the hospital setting. Um, I'd be, I was at the eating disorder treatment center. Um, there was a lot of things and no one knew. And then I, um, you know, 
I quit my full-time job. What was it like four years ago? So I was only, I'm only doing private practice. And honestly, in the last like four years, I've legitimately only had mm, three patients bring it up. One was the guy that found it after, you know, all that time. Another one um, already knew she like found out about it a while ago and it said like, I don't like to watch it. And then, um, and then it was the one that I actually turned to, to be like, Hey, would this video help you kind of thing? Um, those are the only ones I've actually even had it brought up. Um, yeah. So if you have like an anecdote and you're wanting to know how it would deal with a particular situation, I can gladly walk you through that. But I think it's just something that as it comes up, I address and it hasn't been a struggle. Um, but it has been a, on social media has has been it has its own challenges but the benefits far outweigh the challenges and i've gotten pretty good at adapting and managing and talking to my patients about that um so yeah that that's really it i hope that kind of answer i know it's kind of all over the place and you're like wow that's a lot going on but it's been over the years right like slowly but surely some of my patients who were bothered by it we i would refer them out um the moving of offices i've moved like two three I don't know how many times. Anyway, I've moved a few times. Um, some of my patients get bothered by that or it's not as uh, easy of a location for them. And so then, you know, and so I've slowly whittled down my private practice. Um, but most people I've been seeing, I've been seeing off and on for years. I think I only have one new person. Um, yeah. Yeah, just not an issue. Okay, that's all. I'll stop rambling. Um, but that's a great question and something that I haven't talked about openly. And it's not something that I really want to sh- to share a lot of, with people because I don't want people to think like, oh, people do that. Oh, my God. And it, it's okay. I've managed it. No one has been harmed or hurt. Nothing has happened. It's just something that I'm aware of, something that I protect my patients from, something that I I deal with as it comes. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how it's worked. Um, yeah. I hope you have a wonderful week. Sean and I's podcast, we're going to record that tomorrow. Opinions that don't matter. It's totally goofy. I already have really funny things on my list of things to talk about. Um, we'll be talk. Uh, it'll go live on Saturday. Um, yeah, stay tuned. Make sure your notifications are on for the community tab over here on the Opinions That Don't Matter um, channel, because that is where I will be posting, asking for your questions. Um, like I said, I only got through eight today, and I know that there are more underneath that last one, but I'll, like, I'll try to keep it fresh so that you get an opportunity to ask your question again, and people can thumbs up it. Thumbs up it. That's a weird way to say it. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, we'll get through this, you guys. Thank you. And I just want to say thank you for being wonderful. Our community is great. Not only the hangouts I do on Patreon have been lovely and wonderful and recharging, but also the comments below the video I put out on Monday made me feel so much better. It's nice to know I'm not alone in it. Um, I've been having conversations back to the, like my patient stuff. I've been having conversations with them about it since this started. So really stuff like that is no surprise to them. It's not that it's my time versus their time. It's just, we've been talking about how hard it is. Um, so yeah, it's, Thank you for being understanding. Thank you for being you. Um, We're not alone, right? We'll get through this together. Have a wonderful week and I'll see you next time. Bye. Ask her about your therapist or vent about your work. You can ask her about your self-esteem or why your feelings hurt. You can ask her why breakups suck or why you've hit a plateau. Inquire all those questions you've always wanted to know. Katie